New Zealand was no different to anywhere else. Uh, every media platform, the Herald stuff, RNZ, News Hub, they all had their fair share of Prince Philip stories. But I just thought one news stood out among the pack. It was particularly notable. It set aside the first 40 minutes of its Saturday night news bulletin for reporting on the Prince's death uh, before transitioning to its sports section, which you'd think would be a break from the coverage. But even that section wasn't totally Prince-free. So this is a clip. Well, New Zealand sport is tonight remembering Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. The Duke was patron of the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, visiting Auckland soon after Team New Zealand won the Cup for the first time back in 1995. That's right, so it looked a little bit shaky there for a second, a little bit iffy, but One News did manage to squeeze a Prince Philip mention into every section of its bulletin outside of the weather report. But not everyone was very happy with the media's dedication to the story, right? No. So you might have seen this, but the blanket coverage was not universally popular. In the UK, it got so uh, intense, overwhelming, that the BBC actually set up a dedicated form on its website for complaints about its Prince Philip coverage due to the amount of discontent among its audience. Uh, It received... Reportedly, 100,000 complaints from viewers. Uh, That's according to reporting from the BBC. So it would probably know. Uh, New Zealanders uh, weren't exactly universally happy either. And there were the usual complaints from Republicans and assorted non-monarchists. Pretty predictable. But as the weekend wore on, there was another point that emerged. And people started pointing to the disparity between the attention paid to the prince's death compared to the coverage of the Samoan election, which took place on Friday. And so what were they referring to with regards to disparity? What was the problem with the Samoan election coverage? Well, what coverage of the Samoan election coverage? That's that's unfair. RNZ had its fair share of coverage, but uh, it was pretty much the only major news website that was covering coverage of the event. Uh, Though TVNZ's breakfast, they'd discussed it on Friday. Uh, Stuff in the Herald, though, there wasn't stories about it until... Sunday, and that absence of information was more glaring just given the deluge of stories about Prince Philip. And it was also pretty questionable just given the historic nature of the Samoan election. So, uh, fast, fa'atua tua, iliatua Samoa, uatasi, that party's only existed for a year. It finished in a dead heat with HRPP, the Human Rights Protection Party, which has been in power since for t- more than 20 years. Uh, so it's a, it's a very significant election, and even more so because FAS leader uh, Fiamme Naomi uh, Mata'afa could become the country's first female prime minister. So what's the issue here? The media dropped the ball? <sighs> The I'm media usually... doesn't know any better. The <laughs> no. media lacks an ability to cover such a story. There's, there's maybe elements of some of all of those. I'm usually pretty reluctant to engage in this kind of whataboutism just because you often see uh, sometimes it's an atrocity in a Western nature, nation, a school shooting or a terrorist attack or something, and someone will point to you know something equally horrific or more horrific that's happened in a non-Western nation and use it to shame the media. S- 
to me, that those are often pretty ghoulish, and often these criticisms seem primarily aimed at sort of signifying the righteousness of the critic, who will often go back to ignoring the issue they're highlighting as soon as they've received their fill of likes and retweets. In this case, I think the disparity is worth drawing attention to because it really does reveal some interesting things about the New Zealand media ecosystem and some real structural problems. I think, that are worth exploring, and I will explore more on Sunday's Media Watch. Spoiler alert. Um, Just the first thing, though, that I will highlight, that's not one of those structural problems, kind of understandable, Prince Philip hadn't been looking exactly well. Uh, He'd been looking pretty ill. He'd had a lot of health problems. So this wasn't an unexpected event. And because of that, I think a lot of media globally had just pre-prepared a lot of content about his life, obits, that kind of thing. And probably because of that, there was some sort of glut of coverage on Saturday and Sunday. That's one factor, but it's not the only factor here. And But at the same time, the Samoan election, everyone knew it. I mean, it's a set date and people have been noticing exactly. coming Exactly, it's for a the while. same thing. So there wasn't exactly a glut of pre-prepared or, or there wasn't a glut of planning for that event either. And it wasn't like it came out of thin air that it was a tight contest. You know, Fast Rise had been flagged for weeks, uh, including in RN, uh, outlets like RNZ and the ABC in Australia. So it's like a matter of priorities? Yeah. So then we come into the space of, ah, so what are the editorial priorities and who makes the decision? Exactly. And obviously... Our media, and as a general rule, thought that the Prince Philip story was more engaging and more relevant to its readership. And what does that say? First of all, it could speak to a lack of diversity in our newsrooms. This is a well-established problem. It's one that newsrooms have been trying to address to some extent. But uh, we talk about the absence of Māori voices in newsrooms. Uh, That's probably more pronounced, I think, for Pacifica uh, representation. There's a real shortage of uh, Pacifica journalists and editors. And I actually talked to um, a a Pacifica journalist today and... She said, just basically, how are you expecting these organisations to connect to the Samoan election when they're not necessarily connecting to the Samoan communities just down the road from them? And so this is a complicated election with a complicated electoral system overseas, and you're not even connecting necessarily to the community that's in your local area. Uh, It could also reveal a pretty conscious or subconscious bias in who media organisations see as their audience. It's not that justifiable, is it, when you think about who their audience could be. It's not like there is no audience for news about Samoa in New Zealand. There are 120,000 people who identify as Samoa in Auckland alone, nearly 400,000 who identify as uh, one of the 30 distinct Pacific groups in New Zealand. It's more likely that many of our mainstream media organisations just don't have a deep connection to those audiences and therefore don't see them as a big part of their sales pitch. I mean, the other thing, just speaking and identifying myself as one of those Samoans that you're identifying, it also raises the question, do you have to be Samoan in order to cover the story, right? And why don't we know about New Zealand's relationship with Samoa when it was once a New Zealand colony and that is only just over 100 years ago. So I'm, I'm not posing this as questions that you need to ask, but it does sort of reveal how little we know about ourselves, right, as quote-unquote New Zealanders. Yeah, and that's a more overarching question as well. But I'm speaking as if those are the only people that are going to be interested in this story. And Indeed. That's not, that shouldn't be the case, right? It's our neighbour, and uh, someone people are our neighbours in our neighbourhoods. Uh, you know, it's not like it's a, it's, it's a story that's so niche and only relevant to them. It's relevant to all of us, but it's not treated that way.
I do want to say there were some exceptions to the rule. John okay, Campbell, good, good. Uh, he interviewed Fast's leader um, uh, on Monday, and uh, Alex Bray, he focused his Monday morning issue of the Bulletin on the election. So it was some noticeable exceptions. Um, it's it's not like there was no coverage at all. Some of this is partly due to the shutdown of some of our um, media that would have uh, have helped with our coverage of the Pacific region. So the Samoa Times, New Zealand's last surviving Samoa newspaper, that shut down in June last year. Uh, recently, AUT's Pacific Media Centre, that's undergone a whole bunch of upheaval after the retirement of its leader, David Roby. And uh, so we've got these two important outlets. And so RNZ is one of the only outlets producing dedicated Pacific news in New Zealand right now. Um, it's telling that the stories that did go up on stuff in the Herald on Sunday, they were actually crowdsourced, or at least the Herald's one was crowdsourced or through a content sharing agreement with RNZ. Uh, and this isn't blowing RNZ's trumpet. It's actually <laughs> obligated by its charter to cover all of New Zealand's diverse communities. So it's not, um, it's just something that's doing out of charity. Um, but it is a concerning situation, and we probably need more Samoan representation in our newsrooms. And at the moment, it looks like there's less. Well, it'll be interesting to see because, of course, it is actually a really interesting election and the decision hasn't been made who the mm. new Prime Minister will be and maybe this will actually be a start of a rise in interest where everyone can actually get in behind educating themselves in and around what's going on because it's unfolding as we speak. Yeah, I think maybe some of the media were maybe caught flat-footed on just how interesting it's going to be and so there's actually court battles to play out and all that sort of stuff. It will be interesting. Okay, what's up next, Aidan? Sorry, um, I was trying to jump the gun there. I didn't realise we had more to cover, so I do apologise trying to cut you short. No, I just wanted to cover those two, that, that one last point. But uh, the, the next thing I want to talk about is just a, an accidentally successful study that's being shared around by journalists. I want to talk about this. All these journalists are, stu- are, 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 are sharing this study uh, that's been written about by Business Insider. And it, it, it says that... Um, Journalists' brains are functioning at a lower-than-average level. They're less able to regulate their emotions, suppress biases, solve complex problems, switch between tasks, and show creative and flexible thinking. What's new? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what's the issue? I mean, what's it the sounds problem? right, right? But don't get me wrong. I think the findings are almost certainly accurate because if journalists' brains were functioning at a high level, they would have worked out that the study they're citing is almost certainly bogus and the study and the story about it is now four years old something that no one seems to have noticed um it wasn't the study wasn't published in any reputable journal it was carried out by neuroscientist and quote leadership coach tara swart and published on her website uh what's more it only surveyed 40 journalists in britain uh having lived there for a bit that (laughs) one of the findings is that they consume more alcohol than average and i'm sorry that's probably pretty much ground zero for journalistic alcoholism uh and it's hardly a broad snapshot of the profession. Uh, and as I said, published in 2017. So the study's not really credible. At, at, at the very least, it's not definitive. Uh, but in a roundabout way, I think it's been wildly successful because <laughs> just it, laugh and laugh. it has shown that journalists are stressed out time poor and often unable to assess the quality of information they're uh, putting out and passing on. So in some weird way, this study has been a roundabout, uh, a roaring success. Uh, and maybe Tara Swart was onto something. You also want to talk about an extremely tough issue facing a former Media Watch guest. That's right. I, I, it might have sounded harsh on journalists. I love all journalists. I, 
glad that they put up with me. Uh, this is another journalist in trouble. Uh, Matt Gertz is from Media Matters, and it monitors Fox News pretty much. Uh, and I interviewed him last year about how the media should cover the baseless claims of voter fraud following the US election. And at the time, it looked like US democracy could be on the brink of self-destructing. That was an important problem, but in recent times, Gertz has been dealing with an even bigger personal issue for him. His name is very similar to the Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates, who is facing calls for his resignation following sexual misconduct allegations. And the similarity in, that, in those two names is pretty much ruining Matt Gertz's life. How? So for days following every new development in Gates's case, Gertz's feed is filled with abuse from people who think that he's the congressman. And he replies to most of it with the two-word phrase, wrong guy. Uh, but the situation has kept spiraling out of control despite his best efforts. And it reached, I just want to highlight that it reached its zenith earlier this week when Gertz appeared on CNN above the uh, Chiron, Matt Gertz, colon, no, I'm not Matt Gates. So here he is talking to CNN's Brian Stelter about the problem. It's a running meme on Twitter that people are always mixing you up with Matt Gates. What's it like to be mixed up with that congressman? Uh, it's a little weird. I mean, you know, uh, he gets negative attention from left-wing people, and some of that kind of spills over onto me. Um, and I, I like to bring a little <laughs> bit of uh, humor to uh, Twitter, which can be kind of a, a miserable place. But, you know, I I do wish that um, things would calm down a little bit in my mentions. Now, that's Matt Gertz. I really do hope that things do eventually calm down for him and he navigates this crisis. Jeepers. That's all I have to say. Mm. Because we're, all we're talking about is one letter different in the name. One letter difference. It's an A uh, instead of an R, and it turns into all of that. Okay, over to the ongoing issues at MediaWorks. Yesterday, that company's new chief executive put out an interesting email. Interesting is one way to put it. So I actually interviewed Cam Wallace, uh, MediaWorks' new chief executive, on the weekend. Yesterday, he did put out this email. He told staff that an internal review that they've been carrying out had cleared the current staff of the rock of sexual harassment and misconduct. Uh, so it's a pretty unusual email to send, and he acknowledged that in the email. He said, we wouldn't normally share anything of this confidential nature, uh, but there have been no findings of misconduct in relation to any of our current staff at the rock. Now, this was a pretty big surprise given MediaWorks has commissioned an independent external report on its culture by Maria Jew QC, QC, and that hasn't returned yet. So should they be putting out these sorts of statements before that independent review's finished? That's, well, no. I, don't, I mean, honest opinion, it seems at best strange to me that they've released these results before Jew has finished her inquiry and if that's going to be a free and frank assessment of MediaWorks culture and alleged history of workplace bullying and harassment, particularly in its radio division, uh, now, uh, then you'd expect that it could still uncover issues with the current staff at The Rock that this internal uh, inquiry has not uncovered. And by coming out and saying The Rock staff have all been cleared, Wallace seems to be preempting the results of that inquiry that's still to be returned. So why would that statement be put out? Yeah, so I'm not certain, I don't know, but this isn't the first time MediaWorks has pushed back on some of the allegations swirling around its staff. A spokesperson said lots of, quote, untrue stuff had been circulating on social media in a story uh, on stuff, in a statement provided to stuff a few weeks ago. I asked Cam Wallace a question along these lines during our interview on the weekend, 
And this is what he said. When some of the reporting about it came out, MediaWorks, I think probably through a spokesperson, said that there had been inaccuracies that had been printed on social media. Is that really an appropriate statement, given that there is an inquiry going on? Is that preempting its results in some way? No, I think that's probably an attempt for um, the organisation to protect some of the people who are feeling uh, at some stage that the organisation wasn't um, protecting them. So that's Cam Wallace saying that, reading between the lines, it seems that some staff have complained to MediaWorks management that they aren't being protected against these allegations that are swirling out there, and the management has responded by putting out these statements which are protecting them. And that goal would seem to be in conflict with this principle of carrying out an honest, no-holds-barred review. 